2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, broadcaster and analyst for CBS Sports. On today's episode, we have an NWSL 2023 draft coverage. A little bit of a recap episode that we want to go through with everyone. Uh, Hello to those of you who are joining us this morning live. If you're in the chat. Good morning to you. Quick reminder before we get into all things NWSL Draft, subscribe to us on YouTube. Please give our videos a thumbs up, youtube.com slash attacking third. You can get all kinds of exclusive NWSL content, previews, recaps, interviews right here with A3. We got a lot to talk about. Lisa, I'm happy to do it with you this morning. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm happy to be doing it with you as well. There is a lot to break down. And we're also going live on Monday morning, which we haven't done in quite a long time. So thanks, everyone, for uh, jump getting up this morning and joining us live here on YouTube because the past several months, we've been Tuesday, Thursdays live. And even in season, we're usually like Sunday night or early Monday morning. So um, we're throwing off the schedule this week because there's a lot to talk about. We've got draft rebranding caps that we want to hit on. We we couldn't do it Friday. We were traveling. It's the day after the draft. So we're hitting it today. Um, we've also got a, a lot this week, Sandra. Like our 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 content plate is incredibly full. We've got US women's national team um, playing two friendlies this week against New Zealand. Um, we've got a lot of news happening. There were so many trades that happened. The draft was phenomenal. Tremendous. It was so great to be there with all the media that covers the league, uh, with CBS broadcasting it, um, with you, of course, going live from our little back uh, like changing room, whatever it was, that that we were sitting in like our locker room. It was great, though. I mean, hey, we made it work. Lots of setup. uh, And then I brought it all home. But um, it was good. And the draft was great. But there were so many things that we didn't even get the chance to hit on while we were doing our live draft recap. And so that's why we're here today to kind of break everything down because the entire draft day was full, packed full of new information about the NWSL, about the league, about expansion, about VAR, about trades, about salary caps, about so many things that happened. Um, So this is kind of our breakdown episode of all of that, as well as The draft itself and kind of which teams won, which teams lost, because, hey, there's always a winner and there's always a loser. (laughs) And we got some some big winners and big losers throughout this draft, for sure. Love
2: love to talk about those winners and those losers. Sports, y'all. Let's talk about some winners and some losers. Um, Yeah, no, happy to be here. uh, I love dubbing
0: someone a loser, too. I love being like, you're a loser. (laughs) You're a winner. Right. Like, it's so fun. (laughs) It's that competitive spirit.
2: (laughs) Energy this Monday morning. Um, yeah, no, happy to be here this morning with, with, with you and, and with everybody to chat all things NWSL as always. Happy uh, MLK Day to, to everyone. Mm-hmm. If, if you got the day off, uh, I would just encourage everyone to maybe try to find an act of service uh, today. Uh, mm-hmm. It's always a good way to to celebrate, I think. So uh, let's uh, let's get cracking into perhaps maybe some of the news bits, right, that, that took place along the way of draft day specifically. I wish I could say it was draft week, but draft day itself was was pretty heavy in terms of the uh, news that was uh, cycling around, whether it was the trades that we were reacting to or uh, the press conference from. Uh NWSL Commissioner Jessica Berman. So some cool things coming out uh within uh what is essentially a, a state of the league <laughs> address. Uh first one for for Berman in 2023, uh felt appropriate that it took place on draft day, her first NWSL draft uh with the with the league. Um I opened up you you and I were there, Lisa, but mm-hmm. you, I, I recall you know, listening to this. Um, and she opened up this, this press conference, obviously touching on, um, the, the sanctions and the corrective actions that were recently put out by the league, because that was probably from the league side of things, one of the bigger, uh, news components for them as they headed into draft week. So she, she kind of, you know, did the smart thing and touched on that, um, immediately, uh, brought up again, how, uh, this process for the league has been a three pronged approach when it came to the joint team investigation, when you were on, and when you and I were in DC for the NWSL championship, she talked about that then, and only being in the first phase mm-hmm. of that three pronged approach. The first was seeking the truth through the investigation. And now they are putting uh, turning the next page on the second part of that, which was the corrective action and the sanction. And we touched a little bit about that when they initially dropped in a previous episode, and some of that included um, permanent bans. There are four coaches who are permanently banned. Um, there are massive team fines, um, any beginning at one point five million to to two hundred thousand. Um, and I think it's really important to just sort of you know to have heard her touch on that because now it sort of feels like the the league is wants to really focus on uh, systemic reform, which is the the third mm-hmm. part of of their three-pronged approach to the joint team investigation. And it was cool to hear her talk about that um, and refer to it essentially as something that's going to be forever. <laughs> like systemic reform right. is is going to be a thing that is that is ongoing. It's not going to be something that um, uh, is solved overnight, especially, you know, in this league, that when we're looking mm-hmm. at things in, in hindsight kind of has um, – you know, a, a decade to sort of make up for on top of trying to to move forward. So um, it was good to yeah. hear her sort of touch on all that.
0: Yeah, and the fact that she did talk about, uh, as you mentioned, those three prongs. And I think it's very important to kind of reflect on the timeline of all of this because um the the results and everything that came out um about the corrective action came out before the draft. They they put that in place what coaches were going to be banned, what um front office and assistant coaches were going to be uh t- permanently banned versus temporarily banned, what fines were going to be put on the leagues. That happened all before the draft. That way this NWSL draft specifically the event could signify the turning of the chapter and could signify the start of that third prong that NWSL Commissioner Jessica Berman was talking about in facts of systemic reform and that it's not a chapter, but instead it's forever moving forward into the future. And we're done with everything before seeking the truth, the corrective action, and now it's the systemic reform. And I thought that was um, really interesting. She talked so much about how the positive future and how it it was a new chapter and how that today was a new beginning uh, moving forward about everything that could be done. Um, But in terms of uh, the media that was there and present with us at the conference uh, for Jessica Berman or or virtually there, there was a lot of questions about, okay, these teams have a lot of fines, 1.5 million for Chicago Red Stars, 1 million for Portland, um, and, and then so on and so forth. When are they due? How are they going to be due? What kind of where do these fines, where are the players going to see them uh, reflected in it? And Berman wasn't sure of the timeline, uh, but she was like, I, I, they're going to pay, right? We think they're they're going to pay. So like the timeline, we're not that worried about. She has no reason to think that any of these teams wouldn't play, pay those fines. But the fact that the league plans to use the fines from those teams into the systemic reform to directly benefit the players, Um, working with subject matters and experts in the space Vermin talked about uh, to Talk about policy reform as well as getting input directly from the players association on how to best use that money. So I think that was really um, important for her to touch on when the money is coming and what it's going to be used for. And the fact that it is directly going to benefit the players is huge and what these players deserve.
2: Yeah, it was uh it was good to to start off uh I think the, the conference like that. And you know. When you listen to these things, you also get updates on other areas. And we heard a lot of our great colleagues ask, uh, you know, good questions. And one of the biggest ones, I think obviously was salary cap, you know, folks wanted to know how 23 looked uh, as it's the season is right around the corner really, but you know, the commissioner mentioning that salary caps uh, have increased by 25 percent to one point three seven five million uh, allocation money has also increased to six hundred thousand. Uh, and those are pretty big numbers, I think, even just in the allocation money sense, when you think back to its, uh, you know, its introduction, which was just a few years ago, this is not something that has been around uh with the league for a long time, um, I believe it got introduced in 2020. So we're just talking about the third year of, of existence, uh, for, for teams to utilize. And when it got announced, it was initially uh $300,000 and now that's increased to, to $600,000. So uh, always good to, to hear the increase yeah. for, for cap and allocation money as well.
0: Yeah, and and the way that that works, I know I get questions on Twitter and everything like that. In terms of salary cap and then allocation money, um, allocation money is used to allocate money towards salaries so that teams can stay under the salary cap. It sounds like, when I say it like that, it sounds so basic, but I'm telling you, people have asked me all the time, what is the difference between salary yeah. cap? What is yeah. allocation money? What do we use it for? Because we see teams making trades for allocation yeah. money all the time. It basically just is like a loophole to get around the salary cap. You see it in MLS. It, it obviously happens in the NWSL. It's it's common in terms of that. But there's also, um, when Jessica Berman was talking about this and all the financial improvements of the year, in, in, including salary caps and allocation, she talked about the team and the individual clubs on their own local level um, are doubling and tripling their investment into the teams, whether that's coaching staffs, facilities, or other areas that the players deserve in order to perform at the highest level. Um, And and she even referenced the trade that happened earlier ahead of the draft between North Carolina or between free agent Dabinia Uh, Brazilian International in Kansas City because Dabinia is saying, hey, I want to go to Kansas City because they've got great facilities. They've got a NWSL specific stadium that is in the works of being built. And that was a big draw for Dabinia to go there. So the fact that a lot of teams are making those investments are are really good to see. Um, You talked about how all the media was asking these great questions. This was probably one of my favorite because everyone remembers back in July 2021, the NWSL announced that they were going to have a rebrand, a new logo, perhaps a new name, just a new rebrand. They were celebrating 10 years of existence. But of course, a lot of other things happened, more important things. So the rebrand got put on the back burner. So it was asked, hey, what's the new brand strategy? Um, When are we going to see a rebrand of the logo, of the name, of the trophies, of anything like that? Um, And that was on her radar, she said, we're we're looking for a target rebrand, probably not until 2024 to change the logo or anything like that. But as of right now, they've already made a lot of changes within the league, right? They changed the league's um, executive office's location. They also built out more executive staff right under... Uh, NWSL Commissioner Berman, um, many of them reporting directly to Berman, including a chief marketing officer who's focused solely on building a new brand identity in the league. And that's going to start as early as this year with new messaging across the NWSL about what their goal is and what the brand identity of the league wants to be. But we won't see a new logo or anything like that for uh, at least a year or so.
2: Yeah, she touched on 2024 as a as a possible uh starting point. I won't even say that that's going to be its arrival. That yeah. 2024 no, could no. possibly be the starting point for the journey to actual it's, like logo yeah, rebranding. it's, it's really
0: that. hard to do a rebrand. Yeah. I mean, we designed yeah. our logo, we talked about rebrands all the time on, on the business side of things. It's really hard. It's not easy at all.
2: Yeah, and I think it, I think it's important to to note that within that um, that it wasn't so much of like it's important to not just fixate on on the fact that there's like a, a logo that could use a, a refresh, but she also talked about that there are other ways in which they're they're going to start uh, focusing on their brand strategy, and that's really around like the messaging uh, of the league that they really want to um, start there. And and those are the first steps that they're going to take in terms of their actual brand strategy. So to look for, um, you know, specific messaging, uh, you know, the community outreach uh, within um, NWSL markets specifically, that they're going to maybe try to target those areas as early as 2023 and that anything related to actual (laughs) logos or branding and stuff like that might not even really get touched on until something like, like 2024. So that was cool to get an update on that. It was also cool to get an update on VAR. Uh, It's coming to the NWSL. We know that we did touch on that um, during last season when the league announced that they were going to, Add additional cameras to to the broadcast and ensure that there were multiple angles, uh, you know, for for these games and that may be, you know, sort of, you know, becoming the, the launching point to introduce uh, VAR. So uh, it's going to be in place. In start for the 2023 season, uh, kicking off on March 25th, a minimum of six cameras at each game. Uh, there's going to be additional training of referees, staff, broadcasters, et cetera. Um, so it, it's cool to know that that we're finally going to get uh, yeah. who we are. We'll see how quickly people, uh, you know, were calling for it and how quickly they'll change their, their song once it starts getting implemented.
0: Yeah, once it starts affecting their own personal team that they're yeah. cheering for, they're going to be like, "Yeah, hey, we don't want VAR anymore. But I think <laughs> it's really important that the league implement VAR because they realize uh, to grow the league, you have to have those different levels. And to elevate the broadcast this much by having a minimum of six cameras at each game Is huge. That's such an advantage. And so these, you have to have six cameras for VAR, but those cameras aren't just used for VAR. So you're getting enhanced angles of the game, close ups, slow motion potentially. Like there are so many different aspects of this that just elevates it entirely. They're putting uh, the league is putting their money where their mouth is. They want this to be a league that is enhancing itself. And that's exactly what they're doing for 2023. And in hopes, to continue to grow and continue to get bigger because Jessica Berman also talked about that expansion in the NWSL. We saw two new teams in California come in last year for the 2022 season, and there has been talks about growing the league by 2024 by two new teams. She talked about how the demand is there for the league to expand however quickly they want. There's a plan set in place for three years, five years, 10 years. um, But Also, the league doesn't have a target number of teams. They're not saying we're going to cap it at 14 teams. They want to keep growing to be as profitable and to meet the demand for fans, for smaller markets, for different markets, um, to grow as much as they can and She also said that they're hoping to share a little bit more. She said, hey, it might be weeks, it might be days, it might be months, but I'm expecting weeks we'll be able to share a little bit more from you. That's when I was like, all right, Berman, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear more about the expansion teams.
2: Yeah, I know we, there's two expected on, on the horizon, and, and we've been chatting about uh, different markets and um, what that's going to look like for for the league moving forward in 2024. So I'm sure we'll get some updates on that, considering yeah. the, the 2023 season is kicking off soon. Um, but it was also cool to hear uh, the commissioner speak a little bit about the broadcast rights deal for the league, because uh, for folks who don't know, Uh, NWSL and CBS uh, broadcast deal will be done at the conclusion of 2023, so it was very cool to sort of see her talk about how there was an exclusive window uh, specifically with CBS for for those negotiation periods, and it was really cool to hear her um, essentially say that there has already been um, a mutual expressing of – uh, you know, between CBS and MWSL to, to sort of continue uh, their partnership. So uh, we'll see, you know, MWSL is a great yep. lead and uh, we'll see if there's a new update uh, on that moving on. But it was cool to sort of hear that come out of this as well.
0: Yeah. And, and the fact that she was pretty transparent about what the league is looking for in broadcast partners. Right. She, she mentioned term, how long the deal would last, the reach, how many. Uh, viewers, it was able to get, and then of course dollars. They said those are the three primary pillars behind a media deal, and they're they want to be as lucrative as possible, um, and it's crazy to think that at the end of this season uh that's when those changes will be made we just saw it happen with us soccer and their rights going from ESPN and Fox to HBO um because we got us games this week and and people are all in my DMs hey how do i watch this what do no. i do what do i do it changing of rights is interesting it can really benefit a league a lot um but it it's mostly to, it's to benefit a league, right? And to benefit the viewers that are trying to watch the league. You want to make it as easy and as seamless for them as possible. Um,
2: coming out of this press conference with Jessica Berman, it uh, was just hours uh, before the NWL draft actually got started. And coming out of this conference, Lisa, I remember you and I, Already like hearing some things about on on the trade wire, there, the rumors kind of swirling around. And then, sure enough, like leading into draft day, we heard some things get announced um, because that trade window was it was by hours. It was like it closed at like 12 p.m., it was going to open up again during the actual. During the actual trade event, uh, we heard about Gotham FC uh, making their moves just as that window was closing, how they had um, traded with San Diego Wave uh, for their 13th overall pick, the number one uh, pick in the second round. So just, just little, little, little things. But, you know, we wanted to, you know, really focus on some of the biggest trades that took place during draft day because there were a ton that took place. On draft day, uh, we got to see, uh, you know, uh, San Diego Wave and Orlando Pride. Maggie Doherty Howard is heading over to to San Diego Wave. Uh, Paige Monahan is heading over to Racing Louisville. Lynn Williams, right? The, that that's the big name and one of the big trades coming out on mm-hmm. draft. Lin Williams to Gotham FC for that number two overall pick. Diana Ordonez to Houston Dash. Emily Sonnet to All Rain. Elise Bennett to O.L. Rain as well. There were again ton of player movement even just within the league already, but on uh, draft day?
0: Yeah, I think the as you mentioned, leaving the press conference, it was like, all right, like what's happening in the world of trades right now? Because um, there was definitely some that were a a little surprising, right? I think one for me, um, I I love to see Maggie Doherty Howard going to San Diego Wave. This is a a two-year deal for Doherty Howard uh, running through the 2024 season. Um, She's spent the last two seasons with Orlando Pride, uh, but she started with Washington, then went to Orlando. And I think that it's a really, really good grab um, someone that's been at Orlando for the last two years, you look at ho- who she'll be playing alongside in San Diego. That's Taylor Corniak in the midfield. That's Alex Morgan up top. I think Doherty Howard adds a lot of depth to that San Diego team. Um, and also Paige Monahan uh, moving from Gotham to racing Louisville. Uh, this was a trade that I was interested to see how this was going to pan out because that's what happened first before we found out, um, who else would be going to Gotham because this is, Paige Monahan's a player that saw a significant time with Gotham um, in the front line, playing on the wings, uh, contributing a lot. I think it's a good grab for racing. It, uh, a, a player like Monahan can sure up the attack and, and have a little bit more experience to that racing Louisville side. But once the draft started, that's when we started to see some, some other crazy trades happening. And we talked about it a little bit on draft night, but Lynn Williams to Gotham for the second overall pick. Um, this was massive for Kansas City. We saw it. Kansas City wanted that number two pick. They wanted to go with sophomore out of Duke, Michelle Cooper, a forward. And this is the price it was going to be. They sent Lynn Williams to Gotham. We look at the the Gotham roster now, and I, I want to talk to you about this, Sandra, about the front line with Midge Purse, Onamanu, and Now you've got Lynn Williams thrown into that mix. Look in the midfield. You've got Christy Mewis. What do you think about this Gotham front line and, and now seeing Lynn Williams being sent to New Jersey New York?
2: Listen, I like the move. I, I think Lynn. what well, you're getting out of Lynn Williams, I think folks seeing the reaction to this trade, I was surprised to sort of see how kind of mixed it, it was. Mm-hmm. I'm, you're going to find me in the camp of giving Gotham a good, tra- uh, good grade on their trade day because I think not only did they add some really good picks, you're talking about getting – United States women's national team caliber uh forward on your team as well. So uh I think this is great. I think we're we're also uh missing Taylor Smith in that equation yeah. as well. We're missing yeah. um Jasmine Ryan in that equation is, <laughs> as well. Um this Jasmine Ryan is a player that they literally Victoria just Pickett. for leading up to the draft. So I mean, we have to mm-hmm. include her in this draft day equation as well. But just for this actual trade specifically for you know lynn williams number two pick i thought this was just like if anything it just sort of was capping off um you know gotham's draft day Uh, i think uh, it's a world cup year right so i think that there's going to be some question marks of Mm -hmm. you know around that player's availability specifically um there's also i think question marks you know around you know, whether you'll have a, a Christy Mewis uh, available in 2023, if you'll have a, a Mitch Purse available in, in 2023. But I think with the moves that they made, and then sort, of, and you're including Lynn Williams in this, I think this is a good one. I I As soon yeah. as I, you know, heard it, and it was made official, like just hearing the, the rumors of it, I was like, no way. And then like I hearing don't. it actually come to life, I was like, yeah, this is actually really, really good for Gotham. <laughs>
0: I, I agree. I think it is really great for Gotham. Um, Gotham had a, had a pretty good draft day, right. In terms of yeah. the trades that they got and some of the picks they picked up, but Kansas City so they lose Lynn Williams. Yes, they get Michelle Cooper uh in the number 2 draft pick, but they also traded away Elise Bennett on yep. draft day. Um uh, this was a rookie last year, forward for Kansas City that had tremendous growth in just one season in the NWSL. Bennett was incredible to watch. I mean, Kansas City had probably one of the best rookie classes last year in 2022 in the league and largely due in part to someone like Elise Bennett. Yeah. You You look at a Jenna Weinbrenner or an Alex Luera also out of Kansas City but Elise Bennett got traded to O.L. Rain for the 23rd overall pick in the draft from Kansas City Um, and O.L. Rain traded $150,000 in allocation money to the current so KC they lose Lynn Williams they lose Elise Bennett those are two prolific forwards for that KC side now Lynn Williams didn't play that much in 2022 she she only played a handful of games at the start of the season then then suffered an injury. But I think Elise Bennett, that's a loss for Casey. That's a huge loss for a player like that. But on the other side, O.L. Reign, to pick up a player like Elise Bennett, that's massive. Imagine what Laura Harvey, head coach at O.L. Reign, can teach a player like Bennett about the league, about playing alongside Rose Lavelle, Megan Rapino, Jess Fishlock. I mean, that's going to be really fun for a young player in Bennett to grow and see herself there. Um, but, Uh, throughout the trade. I think this was another big one that I heard rumblings of early on before the draft even started. But then Diana Ordonez, forward for North Carolina Courage, gets traded to Houston Dash. Um, This was a trade that at first I was like, whoa, what is North Carolina doing? But I'm going to be honest. I was like, what is North Carolina doing? Why would they lose a player like Diana Ordonez. They've already lost a and now they lose Ordonez, but Ordonez is from Texas. When, when North Carolina played at Houston last year, there was like 50 or 60 of Ordonez's family and friends there cheering her on. So I think it's a massive, massive get for Houston. And now we get to see Diana Ordonez alongside Maria Sanchez throughout the world cup. They're not going anywhere alongside Ebony Salmon, Shea Grooms, Sophie Schmidt, like Houston is stacking up They're They're looking to bolster their, their roster.
2: Lisa, this is the winners and losers episode. So, yeah, we <laughs> got to talk about the, the both sides. Are, absolutely. Houston's winning in, in this one. When this yeah. trade dropped, I was like, wow, winner, winner right here. Uh is coming off of a historic rookie of the year season, you know, setting a new record for most goals scored by by a rookie player and now going to head home to Houston get you know be able to play in front of friends and family and you look on the other side of that coin and that's a big loss for a North Carolina Curry side that has not had a great uh offseason you know we talked about how they unfortunately weren't able to to retain the in in free agency and now you're losing a piece that folks are maybe pointing to and saying you know what you lost Dabinia there was yeah. always going to be that possibility. But, hey, you've got some good young pieces to build around. And one of those young pieces was Dan Ordonez. And here's draft day. And that's not the case. And, yeah, we we heard about how um, this was a, a move that North Carolina Courage made in order to accommodate a player's wishes. And while, you know, people might look at that and say, well, good at North Carolina – I'm moving past that. In 2023, Sandra wants to move past that narrative because we've heard that a lot uh, yeah. in years prior in NWSL. We've heard about when there are players who make the request, the club that it was requested from paint themselves as, oh, yes, look at us. We have honored a player's wishes to move them. I'm moving past that. Why is a young player asking for a
0: move this early and, in her career? She's and why running- are you honoring it? Why you better be getting something insane if you're honoring that? I mean, I'm gonna be honest, is if you look at North Carolina, they are a team that needs to get back on the winning side of things. They won the challenge cup, but then they didn't even make the playoffs at the end of last year. And I, yeah. I don't know. I yeah, would loser. not have let Diana Ordonez go, but I think she is such a stellar athlete and player and yeah. goal scorer that I would have held on to her for everything that she's worth.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think to close out the night, just when we thought things were settling out, Lisa, this, actually, this trade actually broke as we were at the draft doing our live show in Philadelphia. Emily Sonnet, to O.L. Reign late, 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 late in the draft night. Um, we got player to be named, which is something, it's a phrase that they use uh, in light of wanting to ensure that they notify the player involved in the trade. Uh, and then very quickly, uh, more reporting that it was possibly Emily Sonnet and then made official by by O.L. Reign welcoming her to the squad. So this is another Player that they were able to add through their draft trade. So they go from adding in the attack with Elise Bennett to adding in the back line with Emily Sonnet.
0: This was massive, massive to see Mark Parsons for Washington Spirit sending a player like Emily Sonnet, a U.S. women's national team defender. She was with the Spirit for two years, helped Spirit lift that NWSL title in 2021 and have her go to OL Reign. Um the 2016 she was the first overall draft pick. This is a player that has a lot of experience internationally along the back line and she can shore up any back line. And when you look at uh, at Washington's roster uh, from last year to this year and heading into a World Cup year there's going to be a lot of holes throughout uh, July and August, when the U.S. And, and when the World Cup is happening, they have they're the team in the league that has the most international call ups, uh, especially for the U.S., Emily Sonnet being one of them. So, to, to kind of send her away, I think that's a big loss for Washington. This is a, a veteran. After you've already lost Kelly O'Hara to Gotham, you need your back line to be strong and to be tough. Yeah, they've still got Amber Brooks. She's a 10 year veteran, 11 year veteran in the league. Um, Sam Staub, but this is this is a team or in the back line to lose Emily Sonnet. I think that's a really big loss. Now OL Rain, on the other hand, they've now picked up Elise Bennett and Emily Sonnet. They're looking pretty happy in the Pacific Northwest right now at this point.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think it's important to touch on, on the trades or the craziest trades that we thought of of the day, just because you have to. When we talk about you know winners and losers coming out of draft day, I think you gotta you gotta incorporate some of the the, the moves and the trades that some of these teams made when you're sort of giving that overall evaluation. So we're actually going to continue to to talk about the NWSL draft. Uh, We want to talk about the biggest winners and losers, uh, breaking teams down uh, in terms of who came out on top and and who still has some question marks around them going into the 2023 season. So we're going to talk about all the teams and more right after a quick break.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
2: All right, let's talk about it. We got to talk about some winners, we got to talk about some losers of the NWSL draft. Uh listen, when we did our live recap from Philly, we talked a lot about that first round because it was so epic in the movement and the trades and and everything about that from from Alyssa Thompson making history, going number 1 to Angel City, the 18-year-old senior out of California and gotham trading with kansas city for number two and michelle cooper going number two emily madrill going number three shout out to the top three there in the nwsl draft but I think we should maybe just take it team by team a little bit, Lisa, and what we thought and how they navigated their draft days. Uh, We'll just start. Let's just go alphabetical. No particular order. Angel City. What did you think of them and their draft day? They are uh, the winners of the Alyssa Thompson uh, sweepstakes, I guess. Uh, Sort of kind of came on really, really quickly, it felt like, right? All of a sudden, yes, Alyssa Thompson was considering going pro. She wasn't exactly registered. Then all of a sudden she was there was rumors swirling around about them making a move for uh the number one pick. Then they actually did it, but she still wasn't registered. There were all these parts, but they walk away with the number one pick in Alyssa Thompson. And um, you know, they also they also address the team need, right? With 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 goalkeeper uh as well. So what what would you grade them?
0: Yeah, coming out I mean- winners, are they coming out losers? Uh, I think that like not winners, not losers. Like I hate to start off that way, but yeah, they traded and, and they made some really impressive strategic moves leading up to the draft. So they could get that number one pick and They wanted Alyssa Thompson and that's what they got. So I think in Angel City's mind, they are complete winners. That's what they wanted. They wanted the number one pick. They wanted the 18-year-old. They wanted her to stay in California. Uh, We talked about it in our mock draft about how Angel City was a team that I think had a lot of expectations on them in 2022 to do well, to exceed, to have all these investors, to make the playoffs, right? Like every team wants to do that, make the playoffs and wins. But I think... With Angel City, they had unrealistic expectations on themselves to do that. And they didn't make the playoffs. They didn't succeed maybe as well as they wanted to on the pitch. So getting a player like Alyssa Thompson definitely strengthens their roster. I mean, this is a player that has two international caps with the U.S. senior team, right? She's she's going to boost them up and do that. But throughout doing that, they lost one of their picks. So Angel City only ended up with two picks um, uh, throughout the NWSL draft. And I think that's an area where they lose a couple points for me because they could have had three picks. They could have maybe uh bolstered up their midfield a little bit, of up, uh, up their front line. I'm interested to see. I mean, this is one of those things as with a lot of draft picks, you don't know until you actually see them playing in in contest. Is Alyssa Thompson going to start their first game of the regular season on March 25th? I have no idea. I could see it going either way at that point. Um, So, I I mean, I give them like a B, right? Like a middle of the road. They didn't completely win. They weren't the best club in this draft, but they also didn't completely lose because they got what they wanted in their number one draft pick.
2: Yeah. I think when you're looking at it like that and sort of targeting the things that they wanted to walk away with on draft day, they accomplish those things and I'm with you. I, I it yes. gave them a B grade as well. I think I might've um, gone, gone B minus. I have my actual grades posted up on, on, com, So check it out on CBS sports, but I, I'm with you. I think when they had, when they, when, look, they, they made those multiple moves to get into that spot because they wanted to select this player and, You know, they also tried to address uh, uh, a targeted area, you know, with the goalkeeper position. So uh, coming out of this draft with the the number one overall pick that you wanted to go ahead and, and draft, but also coming out with, you know angelina anderson out of out of you know uc berkeley mm-hmm. for you know goalkeeping um to just add to the depth of that i think i'm with you does it feel like a draw right are we going with this draw on these are we we want to include that as well i'll i'll, I'll allow it I, I won't let you um you know <laughs> be pigeon, i won't let you be pigeonholed to just one or two right i'll let you i'll let you go ahead and do it let's let's keep going um we and, make our, our own put- rules here we make our own yeah, rules here that's, <laughs> that's part that's part of having having your, your own show right you get to do that uh let's keep going in, in in alphabetical order here i want to hear your thoughts on the chicago red stars because this is yeah. a team that we talked about when we were talking about team needs across the league that this was one of a handful of teams where we said hey this is a team that has to utilize the draft in order to help continue to flesh out their roster what did you think of their draft day
0: I think Chicago, with four picks throughout the draft, um, three in the first two rounds, they had a lot of potential to to pick up where they need. And uh, starting at their number seventh pick, Penelope Hawking, the forward out of Penn State, this was a really good grab. I'm really happy about this one. Um, I think that that'll help Chicago in their front line, right? You can't rely on a player like Mallory Swanson, formerly Pew to do all of the work, especially in a World Cup year. Then they go ahead and they get Grace Yochum and Ali Schlegel, um, also out of Penn State. So you got two Penn Staters. I think that also helps a little bit under Chris Petroselli to have two players that have formerly played with each other for a number of years. But when you look at the overall roster for Chicago, they lost a lot of midfielders. and And yes, they gained some midfielders, right? Like you could You could throw Yochum in the midfield. You can throw some of those players in the midfield, but they're more attacking-minded players. I wanted to see them pick up a really good defensive MIDI or a really good center back that if Chris Petroselli continues to play with three back, you can throw a center back on the left, right, or the center of that three center back role. And he didn't do that. He stuck more with the attacking side of the game. Um, So that was something that I was a little... Not too proud to see from Chicago, but I mean, I really like Penelope Hawking in the first round. That's a huge grab for Chicago. But you as our our resident Chicago uh, encyclopedia here, what do you think about this? You're going to be the one watching on week week in and week out in person. What do you think of this? Listen, I think going into this draft with three picks and then
2: and walking out with four selections, I think, is really good for the Chicago yeah, Red Sox team, especially as we had them pegged as a team that needed to make their picks. We were like, "Don't trade away for just like some random allocation money." And I mean, unless they have a for sure signing that they're trying to to get into the team, but they needed to utilize this draft for for bodies. They they really really needed mm-hmm. to so, sort of walk out of this draft with with four players um going in with only three picks i think was already uh you know a, a net positive for them i also think you know them being able to to walk away with that fourth player being um sophie jones out of duke i think is really good we're talking about 2018 gatorade player of the year uh coming off of a pretty strong uh, se- uh senior season i think there were some folks uh, surprised that uh she she dropped all the way to the fourth round so um I, I, not only am I impressed with sort of how they started their draft and getting somebody like a, like a Hawking, someone that we had amongst really like the top five forwards available going into this draft. So they walk away with Hawking, who, depending who you talk to is probably one of the more could possibly want to be one of yeah. the more quotable NWS already uh, forwards. Heard a lot of that I being hockey on the draft floor. Um, so to sort of start off and open up their draft with, with, that, that type of attacking player to sort of close it off with this type of midfielder in the fourth round, I thought was pretty good. Um, I think upon like first reaction, I was like high C, like C plus, maybe maybe B minus now that I've had some time to, to sit in it. I think again, grades are going to be tough because we're going to have to see where these players slot in and how they can exactly. produce. But this is also a franchise that fielded like seven different first year players. Yeah. In 2022, and we saw all of these first-year players um, make an impact in, in some capacity. So what is that going to yep. mean for those those players who are now going to go and pursue a second year in NWSL? Where are you going to see these players? Where does the Jill Aguilera fit coming out of a 2022? They utilized her a lot at wingback. That was, not, that was a, something that was asked of her that mm-hmm. she was unfamiliar with. Are they gonna slot her more inside in an effort to move things around in other areas? So um we'll see. I think for just walking out of this with getting actual uh getting more players than they had anticipated, I think is is positive uh for them. But we'll have to wait and see what the production uh looks like for, for the team coming out during the regular season. Uh keeping things alphabetical, Houston Dash. Uh we touched on their big trade already, but when you're looking at the overall
0: draft day for Houston. Uh, What are you grading them? I mean, they got Diana Ordone, yes. This is a a player in a rookie year that scored 12 goals. She went on a run. She really, really lifted up North Carolina's front line last year and all of their attacking efforts. So because of that, Houston starts out at like an A++ with what they could do in order to do that. But because of that, Houston had some late round picks. They had two in the second um, and then one each in the third and the fourth round. But when you look at who they were able to pick up, Sophie Hurst, the 20th overall pick, uh, so in the second round, and then the 22nd in Jalissa Harris out of South Carolina. Right. Harris was a player that, for you and I, we had her higher on our draft uh, list about what she was going to do, how she was going to contribute in this draft. And out of South Carolina in the SEC, this Jalissa Harris was a forward that I thought was going to go a lot higher than she did. Um, but I think for... Uh, for Houston to be able to get a player like Harris that late in the second round was a massive, massive grab for them. They're really, really strengthening up what they've been able to do. Um, and, and then also you look at their other pick and Sophie Hurst in that second round out of Harvard. This is a, a midfielder, more of a, a midi player. And I really like this grab. So I think Diana Ardonia, though, pushes them to the top. I think yeah. Houston did really well throughout this draft with what they were given um, and and with their their new head coach, right? And Sam Hyatt being able to um, kind of bolster up their roster as much as they could.
2: Yeah, I have them coming out winners in this one <laughs> as well. I think uh, turning that first round pick into Diana Ordonez essentially is, is massive for them. Um, I can only anticipate that playing at home in front of friends and family um, in a comfortable setting is going to help her in her sophomore season, because again, we're, we're looking at that. Sometimes players suffer from a sophomore slump, but I think she's already perhaps setting herself up uh, to, to find success. right? Um, I also think it helped targeted uh, an area of need. We were curious if they were going to go with an attacking player out of this draft in light of someone like Nichelle Prince suffering an ACL injury in November on international duty. What was that frontline attack going to look like? What could it look like? Um, and instead of going with an attacker out of college, they're going with the uh is now second year player in Diana Ordonia. So I think that's a that's a massive upgrade for them. And I'm yeah. with you on Jalissa Harris as well. Um, they they did really well, I think, uh Houston to go ahead and sure up some things defensively. They they re-signed Price, they extended her deal. They want to possibly have her be that that counter part, that pair for uh Katie Naughton. But it's important to have depth in those areas. And I think having a defender like Jalissa Harris is gonna, gonna help uh target that. So I, I have them coming out winners in the draft as well. Let's talk about Kansas City Current. Uh, I think maybe we're going to keep the, the winners rolling here. Kansas City Current. No strangers to having a big draft day. Um, remembered when they were first on the scene, they they smashed the allocation draft day money record. Uh, I remember when the first move for allocation money was made, it was between Chicago and it was between Utah Rose, and it was for like $80,000 for a first-round pick. And now that's like smashed out of the water, and we've got – Kansas city current, uh, making the leap into the number two spot with, with the trade. We've talked about that trade a little bit already.
0: You got them as winners or losers coming out of this draft. Kansas city won this draft. They, they really did. I mean, you really have to weigh the loss and the gain for Kansas city current. They lost Lynn Williams. They lost Elizabeth. Um, elise bennett excuse me to ol rain and williams going to gotham but when you look at the picks they had four in the first two rounds one in the third and then three picks in the fourth round kansas city had so many picks and i think they utilized them so well of course they make that massive trade uh sending lynn williams to gotham to get the sophomore out of duke forward michelle cooper at that number two overall pick this is a massive grab for them um it, it kind of reflects the sentiments we talked about with Angel City. They wanted Alyssa Thompson. They knew she was going to go first. So Angel City did what they could to get that number one pick. Same goes for Kansas City. They wanted Michelle Cooper. And if you know the number one pick is going to go to Alyssa Thompson and and it's pretty much been solidified by Angel City, you've got to go for that number two pick. That's what they did. And they end up getting Cooper Um, I think she's going to be a really big asset to Kansas City. But you look at the rest, the next three picks for Kansas City, 10th in the first round, and they go with Alexis Banstra out of Virginia. This is a massive player that I think could really fit well into Matt Potter's system. Um, A tenacious player, understands where she can be on the pitch, can also play a variety of roles. And, And when you look at Matt Potter and what he does with his roster, he throws players anywhere, anywhere, just to see their strengths and what they're going to do. Then they end up getting Gabrielle Robinson out of West Virginia and Jordan Silkowitz out of Iowa State. Um, Top picks, and that's just 18, right? They had... (laughs) four picks in the first 18 picks that's massive i think kansas city utilized and capitalized on on what they could do uh in this draft and they did an incredible job oh yeah and they also got to i know that's free agency oh and that's a different story but kansas no, city they did talk about fantastic it. they won this draft yeah
2: yeah i'm, I'm with you a hundred percent uh they were already the team going into this draft at the moment with with seven picks they they were one of the team I think they were the team with the most at, at that point yeah. um so to know that they had already made these moves prior to going into the draft you're just like okay well maybe they're gonna look to perhaps trade out of the draft like they're no, sitting no. pretty that was not the case so not only did they kick off their draft week by announcing the free agency signing of debina they go ahead and they make a move for that number two spot and nab michelle cooper the fact that they closed out that first round draft with alexis is huge i'm so glad you mentioned that because this was a player i remember on mock draft boards in last year's draft when there was that waiver for the ncaa waiver where players had the option to to declare back and, and and close out their their senior seasons with their collegiate teams and therefore basically rights to any player were like wide open. So you could draft a player and they may or may not yeah. have a report. Okay. So this was a player like our draft boards didn't actually uh declare legends, but here she was for, for this year's draft and was rated as a potential first rounder and, and was selected number 10 overall into Kansas city. I'm just kind of like, geez, like they're going to keep, winning this thing. We'll see how, how it looks with the rest of these picks. And then they kept making them moving forward. I mean, we're not even talking about their picks in the third and the fourth round where they picked up, you know, Makai McKinnon, the defender out of Washington state, you know, so they're like adding depth in, in different areas. Um, and I think if you're, if you're a first year player and you're just starting off your pro career and you get the opportunity to do that in a market or a franchise, like Kansas city that is doing so much for its players uh, in terms of its facilities um, that that's gotta be something that really, really excites you because we've heard from all their free agency signings and their re signings that that's one of the things that has, has been most lucrative uh, in terms of making that decision to, to, to play with Kansas city. So they're absolutely um, winners for me. As well, coming out of this draft, uh, let's let's stay alphabetical. We're we're with K with with Kansas City Current. So let's move on to N with New Jersey New York Gotham FC. Lisa, I got I've got Gotham FC as winners in this one as well. You know, it's it's thinking about this now with a couple days removed from from the draft. This was such a this was a draft class with with a lot of talent within it. So it almost sort of feels like. A lot of the teams could have possibly come out of this draft as winners just because of the depth of talent that there was in this draft class. But I think when you add in that X factor of the moves made, the trades made, how things got shifted around, you have to, when you incorporate that as part of a draft day grade, I've got Gotham coming out winners in this one as well.
0: I, I kind of think about that too. I think if you asked me this Thursday night, and I maybe even said this on Thursday night after the draft, that uh, there wasn't that much with Gotham that was impressing me. However, in hindsight, you look at the moves that they made in the trades that happened. Um, yeah, they lost the number two pick to Kansas City, but they gained Lynn Williams plus the little money. And they still had the fourth overall pick. Uh, with only two picks in the draft, you want to stay top five. So the fact that they lost number two, but they were able to retain number four in the pick, that's really good. I, I think that Yale Bush West did a great job there with, with kind of finagling her way around that because... Uh, they were able to get out of Florida State University. Jenna Knightswanger. Um, this is a, a player that can make an immediate immediate impact with Gotham and that's what they need right now. We talked about the moves that Gotham had made in, in the offseason um, whether with free agency or who they were picking up and and we talked about the front line and the changes that Gotham has made they've already done a lot of them and so they didn't have that much work to do during this draft. Right? They picked up Kelly O'Hara. Um, they have Christy Mew is coming back for a second season. They've re-signed McCall Zerboni in the midfield. They've got Victoria Pickett coming back in the midfield. And then they end up getting Lynn Williams uh, to kind of bolster up that front line along with someone like Smith uh, in that front line. So I think that Gotham, they did well with the two picks that they were given, one in the the first round and then one in the fourth round, I believe. This is the best that they can do. So yeah, I think I give them a top winning grade at, at the end of this because Jenna Nightswanger is a player that's gonna make an immediate impact and that's what Gotham needed, right? I think that for Gotham to have two picks, one in the first round at number four and you get a player that you can start immediately is better than maybe having five picks and going with some average players, not average, but talent wise that you need to develop a little bit and can't start right away. So Gotham winner in my book yeah
2: same for me um uh, for all the the reason that she, that you have mentioned already look Jen, jenna nishwanger i think was one of these combo breaker type of players i think yeah. she was busting mock drafts all throughout the the soccer space uh when that final player registration list dropped the deadline had passed they updated the list boom you saw jenna nishwanger available the midfielder out of florida state and it broke a bunch of mock drafts. It, it, you had to re you restructure some things. It's like, is this a player that can actually go, uh, you know, top three, depending on on what some of these teams are targeting in terms of their actual wants and needs going into the 2023 season? So I think Nyquistwanger at number four uh, was almost just the icing on, on the cake in terms of the, the moves that they had made to get themselves there, because this was a team uh, that had the number two pick. Well, actually they had the number one pick. Then they had the number two pick and then they traded with racing to get the number four pick. It was a series of traits to ensure that they remained in the top five and they're walking out with a, uh, with a, with a top talent um, in, in Nyschwanger. And, you know, I'm curious to see how they're going to work her in, uh, to the bigger picture of all things Gotham, because they've also, you know, resign, uh, announced the resigning of McCall Zerboni out of free agency for, for a one-year deal. Again, we know that they've got, uh, you know, Yasmeen Ryan and, and, and Christy Mewis, you know. Uh, so I'm going to... I'm interested to see where... They are gonna look and, and and play some of these players again. It's a world cup year. We'll see. There's there's likely we're likely to see some of these players who are considered depth players um get some meaningful time uh in, in a season like this. And I think we could see it um, in Gotham as well. So winners, winners for me. Um when we're talking about players coming out of, of the draft, we're staying with the letter N for North Carolina courage. Lisa, you and I were going live. And we were talking about that first round. North Carolina Courage was a team similar to last year's draft. They had three picks coming out of this draft, but they also lost a ton coming out of this draft. We're talking about, you mentioned Abina already in free agency, their actual draft day trade with Ordonez going to Houston Dash. And then we were like, okay, well, we have to see – what they do with those three picks then, what is it going to look like? What are the areas that they're going to, going to target? So for this one, when I actually like was putting grades on things, I went with like letters. So I've got them like in the seat range. So that's not exactly a winner. I guess it's not exactly a loser, but I think when we're talking about um, the available talent, right. that, that We were yeah. talking about that was coming out of this draft class. We were curious with some of the picks that they went with.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest with that. I think with North Carolina having four picks in the first round, uh, it's it's quality over quantity. And in terms of where those locations were six, eight, nine, and eleven, I don't think North Carolina did as well as they could have in this draft. They they lose Dabinia, they lose Diana Ordonez. You have to show sure up with experience and players that can start immediately Uh, North Carolina had the pick ahead of Chicago. They could have gone for Penelope Hawking. That's one that I I, I talked about it when we talked about Chicago, Chicago won because they got someone like a Penelope Hawking, North Carolina could have done that. That's a fifth year player that's played in two different conferences, uh, understands how to win big 10 championships. Penelope out of Penn state is a player that can start immediately with your team. And uh, instead they go with Olivia Wingate out of Notre Dame, which was a little bit shocking for me. when was lower on my list in terms of best available and, and where she would go still a tremendous player but I think that those are some of the things that I'm questioning a, a little bit not at all the the quality of the player that Sean Nahas went with I mean we've talked about it only time will tell right maybe these are sure. the types of players that he's looking for specifically but uh, even Electra Spanstra out yeah, for Virginia. On the board. <laughs> she, she went number ten. She was still on the yeah. board for three of North Carolina's picks. Three of North Carolina's picks, and they they didn't go with her. So those were some things that I was I was a little concerned about. I mean, Izzy Dacillo was still on the board out of Santa Clara, yeah. but I'm okay with that. Uh, and North Carolina didn't need that type of player. Um, so I, I just think that North Carolina could have done better with the. Yeah where their picks fell all being in the first round. It maybe it's like you've got champagne problems, right? You're just picking of too many at that point, but like I don't know. I would not have left Spencer on the board or Hawking at that point if I was North Carolina.
2: No, I'm with you. I think in our mock draft we had Spencer going to to North Carolina and I, yeah. I think if 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 North Carolina is this franchise that sees themselves in a bit of a rebuilding process I also was of the mindset that, well, perhaps they want to go not only with like best, you know, some of the best talent available on the board at at some of these selections, but perhaps versatility like within some of some of these um, uh, player selections. And I think Spancher was it was one of those players, right? Someone that you can slot along that front line, drop lower if you need to. Um, And again, was was available at each of these selections, but they they, they didn't uh, go with her. I, I think Clara Robbins could be a steal. I think in this one, but again, I think it just depends on when and where and how uh, they anticipate using her. I think we we also have to look back at last year's draft as well. We thought that they won the draft um, in, for, for 2022 season, but uh, it's really Ordonez that kind of had uh, a bit of that that breakout f- for them. Um, are they going to continue developing, you know, an Emily Gray? Are they going to continue um, – You know, development of of Bodie. I think that that's that's where that next step is going to come in for me that I'm going to be looking at. So you're making these picks. There is talent there. What's the development look like? What's the progress look like for these players and are they getting it, um, you know, at at North Carolina? So let's talk. Let's keep moving um, with uh, with the letter. O, we've got OL rain. Here we talked about some of the trades that they made already. Uh, I'm I'm going with them as a winner um, in in this one, Lisa. I liked I liked the trades. Uh, Laura Harvey is no stranger to um, making trades uh, in the draft. Uh, she prefers to have uh, the the record shows that she prefers to have the experienced player on her right. roster versus actually making those selections out of the draft and developing those players. But look, closing out. Draft night with a later trade in the evening and a bit of a blockbuster trade at that uh to acquire Emily Sonnet on top of having two extra def- uh, two extra selections out of the draft. Uh, I kind of gave them a, a low B. I went for with, the, with a little bit of a B minus, but I think you would consider that a, a win.
0: Yeah, I think that a B minus is a win, right? Like uh, I, I got B minuses in school, you know, I was a winner. I think for <laughs> OL Reign, I think you said it you said it right. They Laura Harvey wants experience. She wants players that are already developed, already have that foundation and she can just build on a little bit. We saw her get a list. Elise Bennett, and then Emily Sonnet in this one. Now, Elise Bennett, this is only going to be her second year in the league, but she was a rookie of the year potential last year. Uh, this is a player that did tremendous work for Kansas City. So I think that's a really good grab for O.L. Reign. And with only two picks in this draft and, and them coming a little bit later than usual, um, I think for her to get Shea Holmes out of Washington, right, that's a, that's a local player in Washington uh, that's then staying in Seattle and, and continuing to play. That's a different Defender. I mean, I, I'm not foreseeing that we'll see Shea Holmes get a lot of time, but the building process is there for Laura Harvey. And perhaps this is a long-term investment. That's that's kind of what you have to think about when Laura Harvey is at the draft table, that someone like Holmes is going to be there for a, a number of years depending on how she does in, in immediate impact in preseason. Perhaps she won't see much time on the field here or there, get some minutes. But it, to be playing alongside the back line, you look at who she'll be with, Sophia Huerta, now you've got Emily Sonnet in that back line. I, I think, yeah. I mean, O.L. Rain did well with what they were given, and for what Laura Harvey wants, right? We we know what Laura Harvey wants, and she wants the experience, and that's going to come from trades, not from draft picks.
2: No, I hear you, but I, I like the picks that they made. You know, I think I think yeah. the the local the local pick in in Shay Holmes out of. Uh, you know, Washington soccer, I think is is, is good for them. I, I liked the the pick of, of Natalie Viggiano. I, I chuckled a little bit and yeah. I laughed and I said, that's a that's a Scott Parkinson pick. He's already making moves as the uh, uh, the yeah. co-head coach there at o l rain uh, going with the Big Ten scouting during his time in the Midwest, going with Viggiano. Out of uh, University of Wisconsin, also the the sister of of, of Marissa Vigiano. So, um, I think cool to, to sort of see those picks kind of come out. But I got them as winners um, in this draft, both with the moves that they made and the players that they ultimately selected out of this one. Let's keep it moving and issue out some wish uh, some winners and some loser statuses. Let's go with Orlando Pride. I liked their draft. Day, I think going into this draft, folks were wondering if we were going to hear an announcement were they going to be the winners of the Davinas sweepstakes? But turns out they missed out on that, and perhaps. You you know, maybe folks wondering if they were like walking in with heads hanging low, but that is not the case. I think they are not just winners, but big winners in this draft. I think they had specific uh, areas of needs that they had to target coming into this draft. And I think they're walking out uh, with some really, really good picks. Of course, we have to talk about that top pick. They ended up going with defender Emily Madrill in this one. And I think that alone, even if that was their only pick, that would have given them a a winning, uh, winning status in this one for us.
0: Yeah, five picks for Orlando coming into this draft. And, and that same day, they lost Maggie Doherty Howard out of the midfield. She went to San Diego. Um, and Orlando, it was almost a rebuild year last year throughout 2022. Uh, without having Marta, they lost Sidney LaRue last year. It was a year to kind of reset. Um, they had some coaching changes. Now they've got Seb Hines, who, who spent the end of 2022 with this team, and he could build on the roster that he knows, the personnel he knows. And number three, three overall, they, they had initially number three and number four Orlando. And when we did our like preview, preview, preview of the draft, I wanted Orlando to stay at the top. They needed players and they needed top talent and they did. They traded away one to Gotham in in that number four spot, but they kept their number three pick and getting Emily Madrill, the, the professional already formerly with Florida state. She's played professionally with Sweden over the last couple of years or the last year, excuse me. Um, This is a, an immediate impact play. Then in the second round, 21 overall pick Messiah bright out of TCU forward bright. This is a player that you and I both thought would go much higher. Uh, when we're talking about North Carolina, four picks in the fourth round, this is another player they could have gone with that maybe would make an immediate impact, but they left it to Orlando. Uh, bright is staying in in the Southern half of the country going from TCU over to Orlando. I mean, for Seb Hines, that's a really, really great gab grab. And then they still had three more picks. So I, I agree. I think Orlando had a really good draft out of UNC. Tori Hanson, Summer Yates, uh, Kristen Scott. These are, are players that can come in um, and do wonders for Orlando. And that's really what they needed, right? It was a rebuild year last year. So now how do they continue on that rebuild? Um, I think Madrill is someone that we could see a lot this year.
2: Yeah, we look, I think the fact that they were also able to get some of that talent Um, in later Mm -hmm. rounds, I think, is a real real steal for this team as well. Yes, they went with Madrill, probably the highest-rated defender going into this draft, but to to pick up Messiah Bright to to add uh, to their attacking core. But also Tori Hansen, uh, the defender out of uh, uh, North Carolina, who we also had going a a bit higher in this draft as well, I think is also still selecting her uh, 25th overall, I think is good. So we, we definitely were looking at that attacking line. We were looking... At, at, at the middle third, we were looking at the back line. We were like, listen, if they could target any of these areas, that'll be a win for Orlando Pride. But the fact that they are coming out with, with a couple of pretty good defenders and a good attacking piece, I think, is really, really, really good for them. Uh, giving us, uh, We're giving them the, the winning grade as well. Let's keep it moving. Let's talk about Portland Thorns and how they went ahead and tackled this draft i've got them as winners just with some of the moves that they were making in going into this draft uh part of that blockbuster four-team trade that took place ahead of the draft and uh, finding themselves not just with the 12th pick overall going into this draft but then found themselves with the with the higher pick kind of right at number five so how how are you grading them coming out of this one lisa
0: I think Portland did well. I mean, as NWSL champions in 2022 to kind of finagle their way into a number five pick, kudos, great job, (laughs) great job by Portland because, hey, that's not easy to do. Um, a, A lot of times you have to give up a lot in order to get that. And I think that Portland didn't even give up that much to get that number five pick, and they go with defender out of Alabama, Reina Reyes. This is massive for Portland. They've got to strengthen up that back line, um, and, and this is how they're going to do it. This is another team that, in a World Cup year, is going to lose a lot of top talent. And I think with three picks in this draft, uh, all in the first two rounds, it was a pretty good night for Portland. They end up getting Reyes, fifth overall, and then 12th overall, Izzy Diaquila out of Santa Clara. Um, this is another. Another really good grab, right? This is a player that still on the board at number 12. Why not pick it up uh, for Portland? Yeah, I'm pleased with what Portland did and how they were able to do this. I mean, this is another team that, right, is coming off of a championship year and how the draft works in America is you get the last pick, you get the very last pick because that's how it works. You just want, you don't need all the top talent, but for Portland, this is a team that is really stacked. The roster is really full and they didn't need that much, but they were still able to get some big pieces that I think will add to, to the roster, especially the training practices. And I think we'll see Reyes in game minutes. I do
2: too. I think this is the, I think this is the year, like I said, for, for a lot of players um, to, to get some looks and to make some debuts. Um, Look, I don't know how you go into this draft as as NWSL champions and and somehow walk away even stronger than you already were going into this draft. I mean, my goodness, to be able to pick up Reina Reyes again, we're talking about in our mock draft episode going into this draft, like who were the top forwards going into this draft? Who were the top defenders going into this draft? And everybody was talking about Emily Madrill and everybody else was talking about Reina Reyes and the fact that they walk away with this player as the number, fit, uh, number five overall pick, and then also get a player like Izzy Aquila in the 12th selection overall. It's it's huge pickups for them uh, coming out of this draft. I also have the, them as winners. Racing Louisville FC. Don't know if I had them in winners in this one, Lisa. Yeah, I think,
0: I think it's hard. <laughs> tbd on, on racing louisville the grades have yet to come in i i don't think they did that well i'm going to be honest four picks in this draft two in the second two in the third round um and Paige, back Paige to back, monahan page yeah, monahan big you have to remember that they got Paige right. monahan earlier in the day and i think that's a really good grab so that ups their grade a little bit but their first pick at, at Number 16 overall, and then number 17, Kayla Fisher out of Ohio State forward, and then Brianna Martinez out of Notre Dame. I'm just – I don't know. Not not great, considering who was still on the board at that point. I'm looking at Messiah Bray. I'm looking at Jalissa Harris. I'm looking at even Sophie Hurst out of Harvard. These are other players that I think could have made a different impacts with this with this club. But um, in, in the third round, they ended up getting two picks. They had at least a break, one team break in between them. That was the thing. Racing Louisville, their picks were all back-to-back, right, back-to-back in the second round and then 29 and 31 in the third round. But they got Riley Mattingly Parker out of Alabama. This is a player I'm really high on, uh, a forward for Alabama. She's gritty. She's tenacious. um, She's got a nose for the goal. She honestly kind of plays similarly to Paige Monaghan. I'm going to use that analogy because Mm -hmm. Parker and Monaghan have that relentless – effort where they're going to chase down every single ball till the edge. They're a little smaller in stature and they're going to fight, but they still have got a great physical pre- presence on the field. So maybe that's the type of player that Kim Bjorkengrin is is looking to acquire at his team. But meh, meh, I'm going to give meh to Racing Louisville. All right, fair enough. Uh, we'll, we'll just we'll just put that in the in the loser
2: category. You know, just to just to break <laughs> it down, someone's got to someone. We got to give it to somebody. Uh, San Diego Wave FC. Uh, you know what? Maybe maybe this one is also a TBD, dealer, but yeah. not in the sense where they're coming out is is losers in this draft because I actually felt like they were going into this draft already is as, as winners so mm-hmm. we're looking at a san diego wave fc side that were going into their second ever nwsl draft and they had made a move with gotham to jump up in the order right had the first selection in that second round which was smart because a lot of talent fell to that round but this is also a franchise that went into this draft Maybe they didn't necessarily have a ton of errors that they needed to target because of how they've been navigating their offseason. I mean, they've made some really great uh re-signings of some of their players uh on their roster. They included Danny Colaprico and landed her in free agency. We're talking about a team that hit the jackpot in last year's draft in Naomi Girma, going mm-hmm. with her over Jalen Howell, and it paid massive dividends. And I think it's, it's gonna be one of these, those generational type of players that's gonna um hopefully be able to stick around with, with the California team for, for quite some time. Um, but, you know, adding a, a midfielder in Sierra out, out of Stanford, I think is big, you know, going with the, with the local kid as well. And then picking up an extra goalkeeper, I thought was, was pretty good. Again, world cup, year, yeah. you're going to want to have these areas of depth for, for the team going forward. So I don't know if I would necessarily consider them losers out of this draft, but it's only because I don't necessarily felt like they had a ton of areas of need to target within the draft specifically.
0: I agree. I think that there's there's more going on than uh, head coach Casey Stoney lets on with her plan and what she's doing. We saw that throughout 2022. She was always so confident in her team, but never showed her cards, never let anyone really know what the plan was. And this is a team that ends up going on to the quarterfinal of the NWSL playoffs uh, and and continuing to win and beat teams and get a a first round home game in the playoffs. And like you mentioned with Naomi Gurma, this is a breakout player. They go again. Their first pick in this draft ends up being in the second round. uh, The first pick in the second round, 13th overall. And they go with another Stanford product. The midfielder, Sierra Engay, out of Stanford. This is a big grab. I saw it all over. So social media with Germa, Alex Morgan, giving shout outs to Sierra, saying that we're so excited to have you keeping that player uh, in California. And I think that with Casey Stoney, there are so many things that we won't know until we see them unfolding and see what the plan is for a player like that. They they ended up having three picks in this one. And as you said, they didn't need a lot. So they ended up getting uh, uh, another player, Lauren Briz, Brzecki, excuse me, out of UCLA, and then Giovanna DiMarco out of Wake Forest. Uh, but that was the 45th pick, 33rd and 45th pick respectively. I I think that you're exactly right. They didn't need much coming into it, but it's a win for Casey Stoney with the places that she was on the board and the players that were still available with who she could get. I think it's a long-term game plan for Casey Stoney.
2: I'm with you on that. We've got one final team to issue some grades for. Let's talk about the Washington spirit, Lisa, Washington spirit. They look, I got I, I left confused. I, I was I was befuddled. I was baffled. I, I was all of it. I was kind of like, okay, here, here's here's Washington Spear. This was a team when we talked about some of our previous draft episodes. We included them as one of the teams in NWSL who needed to go into this draft and utilize it to help flesh out their roster and, and obtain some players. So it's confusing in the sense where I feel like they accomplished that goal. Mm-hmm. They go into this draft, right. And they only go in with a certain amount of picks and they're walking out with a handful of players now at this point. So when you're looking at quantity, perhaps they achieve their goal there. But what does it mean? At what cost? And I think that's where we're kind of fixated on a little bit.
0: I I agree because it's kind of same story as North Carolina. To me, it's quality over quantity. And when you've got six picks in this NWSL draft, four of them in the third round, you have to go with some of your best available because, uh, yes, you have Washington has a good team. That was like the most confusing part of 2022 why they weren't able to produce. Because you've got Anna Helferty, you've got Trinity Rodman, Ashley Hatch, Ashley Sanchez, Andy Sullivan in the midfield. They had Kelly O'Hara and Emily Sana in the back line, Aubrey Kingsbury in goal. They've got so many pieces, but they couldn't produce. And I would want to grab some lethal forwards that could go in there and shake things up. No, no Washington does have a lot of forwards. They, they don't need that many in that role. Uh, they needed to bolster up defensively. You lose Kelly O'Hara, you lose Emily Sonnet. Uh, your goalkeeping position is a little slim at this point. That's where I wanted to see Washington really, really pick up players and, and getting Nicole Douglas out of Arizona city, the the Chelsea product as their first pick. Yeah, this is a good pick, but when you look who's still on the board, I, I don't know. There are maybe some other players I would have gone with at this point. I, I like the pick in in Douglas, but what about uh, like Riley Mattingly Parker? That pick yeah. didn't come until thirty first for Racing Louisville. I would have loved to see that go for Washington, um, but under Mark Parsons, this is a new team for him. He's trying to establish himself there. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it was that great for Washington Spirit um, given the picks that they had three of them high in the third round, they could have had a little bit more depth, especially defensively getting more experienced players.
2: Yeah. I think I was a little surprised that they went um, that they targeted a goalkeeper, I think as early as they did with their, that was like their first pick in, in the, in the draft. Um, So you've got the, the trade chatter and then you're like, okay, who are you going to target with this pick? And you're like, it's a goalkeeper. Uh, okay, and I'm not saying that that's not an area that they needed to help flesh out in light of losing, like, a Devin Kerr, and you're looking at, um, you know, Aubrey Kingsbury and, and how does that goalkeeping unit sort of look for the spirit moving forward? Um, but I think with the picks that they had laid out within their third and their fourth, one, that that's an, a, a position that they perhaps could have targeted with an even later pick, uh, already anticipated, but perhaps they're really, really high on Bosselman and wanted to ensure um, that they they utilize that selection um, for that moment. But yeah, when we're talking like winners and losers, I'm not too sure if I've got them in, in the winners column in, in this one, I think if you're someone that's just looking at a quantity over over quality, that maybe you've got them as, as winners, but yeah, still a lot of, of TBD going on when it comes to, to some of uh, the, the picks that were made throughout the 2023 draft, but that's a wrap we're putting, we're closing the Woo! book on the 2023 NWSL draft. It was great doing all these episodes and the buildup to the events. And now we're turning the page because we've got to look ahead to the regular season because preseason, believe it or not, starts much, much quicker than anyone can anticipate. We're going to have so much more about the NWSL. As, as always, uh, we want to thank you all for listening to us here on Attack 3rd. Download, follow, listen to us. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can watch us too. Make sure you subscribe at youtube.com slash attacking third to be able to get alerts whenever we go live. Leave us some comments we want to hear from you. We always love to hear from you. For Sandra and Lisa Roman, this was Attacking Top. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're in 12 months off your sentence you're free lady with a special epic season finale now that i'm out i need something to get me up in the morning you are a firefighter you speak that will be
1: unforgettable in the name of your life's happiness go get your girl she's getting married tomorrow says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want the fire country season finale friday 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus